Praise the Lord. God's good, amen? You all right? That was good, wasn't it? Well worthy of um, playing again. So thank you to David again for that. Well, um, it's pretty hard to follow that actually. I'm going to try with the power of and help of the Holy Spirit. Um, as I prayed, as I prayed earlier, when we asked corporately to ask uh, to to when we asked God to help us live worthily of the sacrifice that those men and women made and are still making on our behalf lends me to what I want to share with you this morning. How do we live worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made? Amen? And um, I'm going to be sharing some scriptures, obviously. We're in church, probably a good thing to do. You would have probably heard all this before, but that's okay because it's good to hear it again. Is that right? Because faith comes by hearing, correct? I will need some crowd participation today because it'll help me. Thank you. Um, yeah, but you might not have heard some of this stuff before, in which case it's important to learn. Amen? So as I said, um, my heart for myself and, and all of us is to live worthy, successful, victorious lives. Because of Jesus and what he did for us. So if you will turn your Bible, turn to your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Um, hang on. I'll just, oh. I've got bits of paper and uh, everything here. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10. Uh, yeah. Ephesians 6.10. We're going to actually be looking at the armour of God um, today and um, I believe we'll all be encouraged and learn something new. Ephesians 6.10. Of course, Paul wrote this letter from prison, okay, uh, waiting to be uh, sentenced. He'd been travelling around. For several years, he spent two years in Ephesus, teaching them there, raising the church there. Um, but at the time of this writing, he was in prison in Rome, okay? Just to paint that picture. And in 10, the very first word says, finally. Okay? If you haven't really looked... Anyway, the book of Ephesians is, is just six, six chapters. It's just stunning. It is just a stunning stunning book in fact um the the men's uh, bible study that started a few weeks ago and it's on this coming tuesday night by the way seven o'clock here in the show uh we're looking deep at the book of ephesians um with the ultimate goal of landing on the armor of god which is right at the end of of the book okay so in 10 paul says to the people finally you know, like, okay, here we go. Finally, 
My brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, why was he so insistent in making that pronunciation? Okay, listen. Church. Just imagine he's speaking to all of us right now. He says, okay, listen up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why is he so insistent? And if I can just put my own words into what Paul may have been thinking... You know, like, I've been teaching you for years. I've given you this letter. I've given you some amazing things in this letter. But here we are at the end. And I believe he knew what was going to happen to him soon. This is his last shot, his last roll of the dice to address the church in Ephesus. And that's why he was so strong in his wording. Amen. So what I want to do now is just have a quick look at the whole book of Ephesians. We'll read the whole thing. <laughs> it's just six chapters. Um, now let's just look at a little, a little bit of Ephesians and, and, and see some of what Paul taught the church. Okay, so turn to Ephesians 1 and we'll read from 15. And this is where I get so excited about this message and that first song um, we sang this morning. Ephesians 1, I'm reading from the New King James, which is the one I like the best, personally. Therefore, I also, after heard of your faith, talking to the Christians, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 18. That your eyes and understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, the Christians, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. There's some powerful words in this passage. In 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Jesus, as, uh, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, please say far above, because it's a, a very important couple of words. Far above... All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that what which is to come. And he put all things, please say all things. He put all things under, that's God put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, the, from 20 to 23 packs a punch because it makes it really, really clear that God put Jesus above principalities and powers. And he put him not only above, but he put him far above. Yeah? Okay, so just hold that thought. The whole book of Ephesians, just six chapters, basically the first half, just tells us who 
you and I are in Christ. Amen. And then the, the, the rest tells us how we are to live. Correct? As Christians. Okay, so after reading that of where Jesus is seated and the victory that he had over the enemy, go back to Ephesians 6. And I'll go from 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles simply means schemes, lies, deception. Okay. 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. When is the evil day? Thank you. It's today. The evil day is any day the enemy tries to put junk on you. That's the evil day, okay? It's not something that was past or coming in the future. It's right now. If you're experiencing any negative junk from the enemy, that's what he means by that, okay? So that you can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Okay, now just hang on a minute. This is the end of Ephesians. Remember that. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because you're going to be facing the enemy. Is that what it says? Well, hang on a minute. We just read in Ephesians 1 how the enemy was defeated. Hello. I mean, we just read that Jesus is above the enemy. And the enemy is under his feet. And if we won't, but if we were to read the first part of Ephesians 1, we would see there that we, you and I, the Christian, the believer, at least who we are, okay? It says we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It says we are without blame. It says that we've been predestined to adoption as sons. It says we found grace, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're in him and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's us. Okay. That's in the first part of Ephesians. And then in the next bit we read, Jesus defeated the enemy. He's above him. The enemy's under his feet. Okay. And then it, how far out here can I go, Brad? Stay in the camera. No, that's it. I'll stop. And then we read in Ephesians 10 at the end of Ephesians that we're going to be wrestling with the enemy. Why? Well, has anybody had a wrestle with the enemy? I need show of hands. I need. Has anybody had a wrestle with the enemy this week? Yesterday? This morning? Right. So none of us are exempt from the wiles of the devil. Yeah? But if we wear the whole armour of God, we have something to compensate for those attacks. Is that right? Okay. Jesus is far above. In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says that Jesus 
came to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. Okay? There's, look, you know, there's loads of scriptures that you could obviously go to. But Jesus destroyed the works of the enemy. Okay, so what's happening? What is happening? Why are we still getting attacked by a defeated enemy? I'm going to... You don't need to turn to it. In Ephesians 2, well, let's turn to it because we're, we're almost there, aren't we? Just go to back to it's Ephesians 2. We've just read Ephesians 1 right down to 23 and then it jumps straight into Ephesians 2. We need to understand some things because if we don't understand... What, what, we've, got to, what we've got to understand is that we need to understand. Because when an army faces off against another army... It's very advantageous for the army to understand the ploys of their enemy. Because if they don't, they are completely at their mercy. And that's why I believe this message is important. Because we do not want to be at the mercy of the enemy, amen? And we're not at the mercy of the enemy unless we're ignorant. Is that okay? All right, so from 2, chapter... Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you and me, this is Paul talking to the church, to the Christians, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. I'll repeat it. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? The devil. Okay, just to keep flowing, I'll answer some of the questions myself. The devil is the prince of... So according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, see, this is after the cross, right? Okay, so Jesus already done his sacrificing, and so this is after the cross. But Paul is saying... The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and fulfilling, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That's a mouthful. Okay, so Paul's saying to us that we once walked that way, but the devil is still active on the earth. Okay? Okay, so just hold that. See, do you mind if I have a drink? It's dry up here, don't it? Hang on. Devil's still active. Since the fall, right, Adam and Eve, okay, remember? <laughs> Who knows that the Garden of Eden was absolutely perfect, right? Adam and Eve lacked nothing. Everything was provided for them. You know, she had a good-looking bloke. He had a good-looking lady, okay, yo, the weather was perfect, their accommodation, whatever that looked like, you know, they didn't even need to wear clothes. I mean, how good can it get? 
you know. <laughs> they wanted for nothing. But then one day, the serpent gets in her ear. Remember what I was saying before? You think you got it good now. If you just eat of that forbidden fruit, you'll have everything. You'll be just like God. Is that what, is that what he said? Was he, that was just deception and lies. And, of course, she fell for it, right? Adam was to blame because he was... Yeah, anyway, we don't need to go there. We won't blame Eve, okay? She was deceived, but Adam... Okay, okay, so... So, since the fall, all right, for some say 6,000 years and so forth, whatever it might be, the earth, the world... Went pear-shaped, is that right? You all thought the world was round, didn't you? But it's actually (laughs) pear-shaped. And then Jesus comes along 2,000 years ago and deals with the devil, is that right? Okay, but who knows, in the last 2,000 years, the world has still been pear-shaped. Has it not? Just look at the last 100 years, the world has been extremely pear-shaped. Why? Because the enemy still is the god of this world system. He's still the god of this world system. He, okay? And he still has great influence over people. I mean, just, just consider for a second all of the dictators in the last hundred years. You know, Hitler and Pol Pot and Kim Il-sung and... And, and there's so many others. The spirit, the evil spirits that were in their ear, you can be so powerful, your country can take this country. You know? They were influenced and the results were horrible. The results were this. Amen? So I just wanted to make it really clear. The enemy is still out there. But the good news is, The good news is, he's not powerful over us. He has no power over you and I. Absolutely none whatsoever. Zero. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He provided a way out for us. He gave us what we need so the enemy does not have power over us. Well, how does he wreak such havoc? Well, this is how he wreaks such havoc. Because he does this. And he's been doing it for 6,000 years. Right? But for the Christian, for you and I, we have something to deal with that. Now, I just want to paint this picture for you. Is it okay if we're a little late today? I just want to paint this picture for you so it's, everything's really clear. Okay, so this is the picture. You've got two armies facing off, okay? And there's a big hill between them, okay? Army number one is powerful, okay? It's well-equipped, well-trained. They know who they are. They have all the equipment they need. All the weaponry they need and they're eager. Right? 
absolutely on top of it. Army number two over here, they got nothing. They've been bashed around. They've lost all their weaponry. They're, they're hungry. They're depleted in number. You know, they're weaker than a sick kitten, you know. But they've got one thing. So the leader gets out his PA system and he puts a message across to the other enemy and he says this, you're going down, you're all going to die, we over here outnumber you 20 to 1. We are strong, we are incredibly well equipped, we have all the weaponry and tomorrow morning at dawn we are going to blow you out of the water. So why don't you just surrender and give up and join our band. Army number one over here hears all this, all the men, all the women... They hear this propaganda. Okay? So they've got two choices. They're murmuring amongst themselves. We really should consider their offer because they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us. They're going to come over here and kick us around tomorrow morning and a lot of us are going to die. Or... The leader of army number one says, don't be fooled, they're lying, they're scheming. They've got a choice. They fall for the lies or they stand up and fight. What? Okay, so it's pretty obvious what I'm saying here. We're army number one. We are more in number. We have the weapons we need. And we are eager for the fight. Amen. Hopefully we're eager for the fight. I mean, you can be a conscientious objector if you want. Uh, I'm just going to trust you know what that means. But I, I'm not, I've just never have been a conscientious objector. Not with a father that was in the military. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so uh, we're army number one. That's the good news. I mean, Jesus defeated the enemy. I mean, the, last week we had the whole Easter message, didn't we? And uh, which we, we reflect on the sacrifice and the victory that he wrought for you and I. Amen? But the enemy is still out there. Okay? He does not have any power over us whatsoever because Jesus disarmed him. In Colossians 2.15, it says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public, of them, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Okay, so it should be no doubt in our minds that we're the winners, eh? I hope you agree with that. Now, as I said, the only weapon that the enemy has to use against you and I, the Christian, is lies. Deception. Craftiness. Deceit. That's what he uses, all right? In 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. 
he says, he, he'd already given them a big rap, you know, because they were doing okay at that point. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay? See, those armies, what was army number two doing? Playing mind games. Yeah? The devil was playing mind games with me yesterday. Well, if I had to listen to him, I wouldn't be standing up here this morning. I would have just said, PK, I'm not feeling well. You need to take over, you know. But no, look, he, he, he's so crafty. It's our mind where the battle really takes place. We are not warring in the heavenly places. We are warring in our mind. The mind is the area of the battlefield. And, and, and a very quick example of this is, is sickness. The Bible makes it really clear that we're healed, right? The enemy says, no, you're not here because you've got COVID. Well, the flesh might have COVID. First in the spirit, then in the flesh. The Bible, the spirit of God says, I'm healed. That's the truth. This over here is a lie. Once we get a hold of this truth we can deal with the lie amen that's just i hope you know where i okay because you know time is at hand and i've got a little bit more to, to share with you don't be fooled the mind is the area of the battlefield and that is why we need to renew our mind is that right yeah. romans 12 2 renew your mind is that right Okay, so the armour of God. Why is Paul so insistent that we suit up? Okay, why is he so insistent that we, he, we suit, that's a phrase I've used for putting on clothing, suit up, oh, look, I'm wearing a suit. Why, why is Paul so insistent that we suit up for this spiritual battle? Because he knows if we don't, we are in big trouble. Amen? So it is not my intention this morning to talk about all the armour, all right? Um, but I would like to talk about two pieces of it. Um, if you want to know more, <laughs> you can come to the men's Bible study because we will be getting there and it is such a good book. Uh, I've said that before. It, it's amazing. The first thing to remember is that the armour Paul is talking about is not a passive thing. It's a very active thing, okay? It's not like this suit. It's It's... Only job is to keep me covered, you know, and look good. You're all supposed to say, and you do look good, Peter. <laughs> it's active, not passive. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the armour of God, well, of course, we think about what the word says, you know, about the helmet and the shield and all that. And our mind just goes, oh, helmet, shield, you know. But l let me just read to you my simple definition of all that the armor paul talks about is obviously metaphorical obviously what the armor really is is an active knowledge of what god has provided in the spirit for the believer i.e 
weaponry. Amen? We need to understand what our weaponry is if we are to fight a spiritual battle. Our weaponry is spiritual. Okay, so let's just read. Let me, let, let, let me just read it to you. Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against. Let's just touch that. Stand against. Simply stand in the face of the enemy. Stand against. Not back down. Eh, never. Never take, you know, that's why I like the kangaroos. They never go backwards, they only go forward. Is that right? Anyway, stand against. I've lost my place. Stand against the wiles, the craftiness of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, I need you to understand something. Where Paul says wrestle. So we know by the scripture that Paul spent a lot of time in prison. Okay, and this is how he came to all this analogy, this metaphor of the armour. Because he was hanging around Roman soldiers for a long time. He knew exactly what they looked like and what all the weapons that they carried were used for. And that's why he drew those comparisons, okay? And when he says here, for we do not wrestle, he also understand what wrestling meant in Roman times. It's not like wrestling in our times. It's not like that silly stuff you see on, you know, where they're acting. And <laughs> or even the Greek... I went to the Olympic Games and watched Greco-Roman wrestling um, in 2000 when it was here. And it was the most boring thing I'd ever seen in my life. They just didn't seem to be moving. Anyway, so it's not that. The wrestling Paul is talking about is life and death wrestling. Most of the time, one of the two combatants was killed okay so he uses this as a very strong word for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places therefore please say therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand as you stand against in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then down to 14, it says, stand. Keep standing. He keeps saying, stand. Don't cower down to the enemy. No, never. Amen? Therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And I could read all of them, but for the sake of time, as I said, I just want to touch on two. The first one I want to touch on is truth he lists it first probably because it's important girded your waist with truth paul the truth i feel stupid actually saying this the truth is pretty important well what truth that's a long list of truths we find in the bible one that the enemy is weak He's defeated and he has no power over me or you. I mean, we need to know who we are in Christ, the truth of that. Amen. There's just, there's just a very long list. We must know that the truth is an antidote to all of the devil's lies. The truth is Satan is only as a roaring lion. Come on. 
tells us that in 1 Peter 5. We must know the truth of God's word. John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, does the truth set you free all by itself? No. You've got to know it. And you've got to apply it. That's why Paul was making a big deal of the truth. And the reason he used it in an, uh, as the analogy with the belt, because he, as I say, he studied these guys in great detail. Well, the Roman soldier, his belt was central to everything else that he had. Not only kept up his pants, but it held his sword, it held his shield, it held his breastplate together. It was central to who he was as a soldier. And that's why Paul used it, because the truth is central to who we are as Christians. Amen? If you don't know the truth, you mincemeat to the enemy, to be quite honest. And then you've got to apply that truth. Amen? The other uh, next four pieces of armour, which I'm not going to talk about, you can do it yourself. Uh, is the breastplate of righteousness, simply meaning our right standing with God. And we could explain all of these pieces of armour in a lot more detail, but that wasn't my intention. Uh, Then the shoes of the gospel of peace, simply meaning stand firm in what God has already completed. The shield of faith, hello, faith. Well, let's just go on a merry journey with faith. No, we're not going to because you need to understand. You should already understand what faith is because without it, you can't please God for starters. Amen. The shield of faith. Protection, meaning protection uh, from direct assaults from the wicked one. Hmm? The helmet of salvation to protect the mind from the lies of the enemy. Amen. Jesus. The last one's probably my favourite as a personal. And this is one I'm going to spend a few minutes on. The sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Just want to talk about the word of God for a second. The phrase, the word of God. Because Paul says, pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. First of all, the sword. Again, he's using the Roman thing, okay, the metaphor, the sword. The particular sword, and when you you study it out in the Latin and the Greek and so forth, you'll find out, so the Roman soldier carried two swords. One that looked like that, a big long sword, okay, and another one which was about half that side, and that was actually called a gladius, which translates into dagger. It was... Needle sharp, double-edged, and this was a long time ago. And who knows, they still use daggers like that today because of their effectiveness. See, the dagger, and this is, again, I know I keep repeating myself, but I want you to get this. This is why Paul uses these analogies. He's talking about the short sword, the gladius, the dagger, okay? And the dagger has always been used for face-to-face combat. 
And that is the word Paul is using. Pick up your dagger because you are going to need it because you are going to be face to face with the enemy and you want to strike a blow. Now, because of my own studies, I'll just add this. Um, in um, uh, modern, well, not, <laughs> my, as you know, dad was a commando in the army and they had a, what they was known as a commando dagger and it was just like the dagger I'm talking about now but the blade was only six inches long. They're, they were trained and taught to use that dagger in many ways which I won't go into because it's a bit gruesome but one of the ways they were trained to use it was in, face, in hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face with the enemy, I'm getting out of the light, am I right? And was to... Grab a hold of that enemy soldier. That's pretty close when you can grab a hold of him. Hold his dagger here pointing outwards and pull that soldier in. That's pretty close and pretty effective because a six-inch blade through your chest, it lights out. That's what they were trained to do. They understood hand-to-hand combat. They understood when the enemy got in their face. And they had the weaponry to deal with it. And that is what Paul is describing here with that sword. Okay, now, that's just the sword. And he says, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, the Word of God has three different meanings. And this is where I'm going to close um, soon-ish. Um, the word of God has three different meanings. Okay, when it's translated, okay. The first one is graphe, a little bit like cafe without the coffee. Graphe. And what graphe means is the written word. What I'm holding in my hand is graphe. Is it the word of God? It's absolutely the word of God. But it's ink on a paper, bound in a book with a cup. Cover on the outside. Graphe. Who knows that keeping graphe on your coffee table is going to do nothing for you in spiritual warfare? You know, I mean, some people have them in the car because they think it's going to bless them and bring them good luck and keep them safe from a car crash. It's in the glove box. Graphe, the word of God. You know, some people have got 20 graphes at home but don't open them. I hope I'm not talking to you here but you might bring graphe into church. I've got graphe under my arm, I'm all spiritual, I'm all good to go. But have no clue about what's inside graphe. The word of God, absolutely. Is it powerful? It certainly can be. Amen. That's the first word. But that's not the word Paul is talking about when he says, pick up the sword of the Spirit because it's the word of God. He's not talking about graphe. Amen? Okay. The second word of God is logos. All right. Now, what is logos? Logos is the message that's inside graphe. Amen? We read, and you've been getting graphe this morning. Oh, sorry, you've been getting logos this morning, I beg your pardon. 
You've been hearing the message. You've been getting Logos. Hopefully it's been going into your spirits, bypassing your mind and straight down into your spirit. Amen? You've been getting Logos. It's the message. Amen. The message needs to be understood for it to have any significance. It can't be just information. You know, the Bible says that the word is, what is it, how to put, um, makes no sense to the world. Is that right? Because it's spiritually discerned. Okay. It's Logos. I can read it, but I've got to understand it and I've got to apply it. Amen. So that's Logos. In Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, Logos, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's Logos. I've got a whole lot more to say about Logos, but I won't. You can study it out for yourself. The third meaning, which is what Paul was talking about, is rhema. Rhema means utterance. It means to speak out and declare. Right? Paul said, pick up the sword of the spirit, the dagger, which is rhema, which... When thrust will draw blood, if I can use that analogy. We, we can't use graphite in a spiritual fight. We need to use Logos via Rhema. It's the spoken word. It's declared. And that is the only thing the enemy pays attention to. Hello? It's the only thing the enemy pays attention to because it's infused and powered by the Holy Spirit. Rhema, with the power of the Holy Spirit behind it, is a knockout blow to the enemy. Amen? You excited about that? Shall I conclude? I mean, we could just go on, couldn't we? That's what the men are going to do. I'm sorry. I'm sure the ladies can discuss Ephesians as well. It's not just a man book. But if you want to, if you want to study, if you're a bloke out there and you want to study Ephesians uh, with the guys, Tuesday at seven. I'm going to conclude with this, and I'm actually going to read the footnote, um, which will actually tie all this together beautifully. If you haven't got one of these Bibles, get get one. They're sensational. The uh, what's it called? The Spirit-filled Life Bible, New King James. I just love. Look, all Bibles are great. Don't misunderstand me, but this is just what I like. Okay, so to wrap all this up, and Paul really wrapped it up. In verse 18, he talks about all the armour and then he says, 
This is it. This is his conclusion to his church that he'd been ministering to for years. He's made them understand who they are in Christ. He's made them understand that there's still a spiritual battle. He's made them understand that they are well equipped for anything the enemy wants to throw at them. Amen. And he seals it all with saying this. Praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Praying always with all prayer. All prayer means there's different types of prayer and it's certainly not my job to try and teach on prayer. That's Pastor Kim's job. But what I understand, you know, like praying in in tongues, praying in, in that type of in the spirit is absolutely crucial. But all prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the, Supplication simply means getting help from God on it, briefly put. Um, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So, I'll read the footnote because it says beautifully what I'm really wanting to get out, okay? In the footnotes, it says this. Paul's final directive... We are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Thus, praying is not, get this, praying, and you can take it or leave it. Um, Thus, praying is not so much a weapon. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, you can call it a weapon, that's fine. I'm not going to disagree with you. Thus, prayer is not so much a weapon or even a part of the armour as it is the means by which we engage in the battle itself and the purpose for which we are, and and the purpose for which we are armed. I'll read it together because I keep breaking. Thus prayer is not so much a weapon or even a part of the armour as it is a means by which we engage in the battle itself and the purpose for which we are armed. To put on the whole armour of God is to prepare for battle. Prayer is the battle itself. See, we're not fighting our battles up there in the heavenlies, where the we we're here, we've got our feet on the ground. Yeah, don't misunderstand me. I mean, that's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go on. But we're here. We, I can see you. I know you're here. You can see me. We're here. This is where we live, on this earth, in these human bodies. But we have a spirit, and we're filled in the Holy Spirit. And the greatest thing we can do is pray. To put on the whole armour of God is to prepare for battle. Prayer is the battle itself. With God's word being our chief weapon employed against Satan during our struggle. That's like, I love that. That's just... ah. 
You all right? This is, if we can get a hold of this and apply this, see, I'm still working on it. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. The enemy still gets in my ear. He still brings junk in my life. I know it's probably just me and not you, but when I know this, (laughs) I can laugh in the devil's face at whatever he lies to me about. Why? Because I've got Jesus in my corner. Hello, come on. I've got Jesus in my corner. And he's big, his shoulders are broad and his fist is big. Amen? That's who you want in your corner. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Father God, we just thank you for today. Lord, we just thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, we just thank you that we have the truth and we are well-equipped soldiers in the army of God. We have all the armour that we need to confront the enemy and our sword is sharp. Amen? It is needle sharp and it is double-edged. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that the adversary is only as a roaring lion. He's really just weaker than a kitten. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, I ask you to bless each and every person here today and anybody that's been watching online. I just thank you that this word, this rhyme of us, this Logos word has gotten into their spirits, Lord, as it is mine, and we just keep on feeding that word, Lord. We just keep feeding that word, Lord. You are good. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, uh...